At 28 years old, I was shot and paralyzed in the chest down. I had two options. I could stop, and other things I cannot control, control me. Or I could move forward and put my energy into things that would improve my life and those around me. I chose to move forward and surround myself with risk takers, innovators, and leaders who've chosen the same path. Join us on the journey. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Forward with me, Derek Herrera, and my guest this week, Roy Tuscany. Roy Tuscany is the founder of the High Fives Foundation, which he started after his own personal experience with spinal cord injury and how devastating and challenging it was for him to move forward and find meaning and purpose after this injury. And so he had a lot of great lessons that we chatted about, and through his experience, what he learned was that the network of, of mentors and advisors who, who would help guide him to live his life to the fullest potential after this life-changing injury was something that he wanted to replicate and scale to be there for anyone else in the United States that, that suffers a spinal cord injury so that they're not alone in dealing with this very challenging circumstance uh, by themselves. So if you're interested in learning more about High Fives Foundation, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization still led by Roy and his team today. You can learn more at their website, which is www.highfivesfoundation.org. They do still do amazing work uh, getting people who've suffered these injuries out into adaptive sports and, and into the outdoors through recreational therapy and so many other things. They've created an amazing network of people that they've helped and continue to, to, to give back with these to this day. So if you're interested in learning more, check their website out. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review, comment, uh, like and subscribe if you're on YouTube or Spotify, and hope you all have a great week. Look forward to sharing more of our forward episodes with you here shortly. Roy, welcome to the show. Derek, how are you today? Doing great, thanks. Doing great. Truly a pleasure to have this time with you. Looking forward to catching up and, and sharing with listeners some of the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, thanks so much. It's great to uh, to be on this call, this video, whatever we're calling this, but more importantly, connecting with you. Before we get into what you're doing now, we'd love to just kind of hear a little bit of the background and the story of your life, you know, up to the point where you you sustained an injury and, and how you, you know, recovered and moved forward from that. Yeah, I um, I grew up in Vermont as an only child and really found adventure in the outdoors. Uh, my parents grew up with the idea of the more time spent outside, the more adventure I would find, I think. And that definitely was the case as growing up there. I fell in love with mountain biking and skiing and just adventuring outside. And it was just part of my spirit of who I was and went up going to college and getting a mechanical engineering degree. And then, you know, after spending so much time and focusing on this kind of regimented life of, you know, 18 college and this, it was like, hold on, like, let's go outside again outside of what is like kind of seen as this normalcy of life and let's go out West and let's just go be a ski coach for two years and not have any expectations. And so I just went out West and I was a ski coach at Sugar Bowl Academy. It was a phenomenal job coaching kids that, you know, are now coming back into my life now, you know, almost you know, 16 years later. Um, it's pretty cool to see them coming back, but that can be brought up later in the story, but, you know, moving out West, I, <clears throat> 
had the idea of the adventure that I found in Vermont was just going to be accelerated to bigger mountains and bigger things. And it sure was. Unfortunately, though, two years after being there, I uh, was down in Mammoth and hit this jump that I'd hit a couple weeks prior, but this time went 130 feet on a 100 foot jump, came down from 30 feet in the air. And the resultant impact into that snow burst fractured my T12 and caused paralysis from the belly button down, rushed, air flighted to the Trauma 2 Hospital in Reno, renowned emergency surgery, stabilization of the spine. Um, trying to relieve the pressure off from the catastrophic impact that I made into the snow. And from that, that was, you know, the, the result of the, you know, incomplete spinal cord injury that I was diagnosed with. Wow. And so how old were you at that time? I was 24 at that time. Uh, yeah, 24, 2006. Yeah, my 25th birthday was like 60 days. After, no, I was like 90 days after it happened. So yeah, 24 at the time of the injury approaching 25 in that quarter century mark, you know, um, pretty bizarre too, to have, you know, it's in some pretty developmental years of life for folks as you know, you, you transition from a, from a teenager to an adult to like being on your own. And you're already struggling at that moment, you know, trying to figure out where you fit in this world. And you had a life changing injury on there. I, I really think it, it's something that, you know, doesn't really, you, you don't see the impact that it has on your life till so many years later. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And, and so you were in Reno at Renown and uh, obviously started to rehab and recover. What, what was that like moving forward from that injury and, and how did, you know, how did you make it through? You know, I think the the thing I chose was community over, um, let's say, like shiny best uh, facility in the country. Um, you know, I stayed in Reno. I had a great community here of support, and I think that really helped me along the lines of you know moving forward in a in a positive way of people being the most important medicine in my recovery. You know, looking back, um, would it have been nice to go to a facility that that had, you know, maybe some more experimental technology advancements to try to see how that could have helped the recovery. But I really feel like the community that I had here was so important to the medicine that, you know, I think healing is best done near home. And, you know, home is where you feel like you have the best support. And so I, I chose that in my recovery. You know, it went well. Um, unfortunately, after I left, I had so many things go wrong. Um, I had some I had foot drop. I had that reconstruction of my ankles and all these things, which really led to some, you know, long lasting um, issues within my gait. Um, you know, I'm a walking para. Uh, when I walk, though, it is, you know, it is definitely not like I'm walking as the best person in the room. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, that is that you know what that's from is that you know after i left that recover that rehab facility there was just so many things that came about that i just i didn't know what was going on man i mean there is no guide to these spinal cord injuries and you know i wish that like there was a foundation like high fives or or at least someone that i could have chatted to 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 know what was going on with my body um, mm -hmm. because like the only way to, in my opinion, to really get information about spinal cord injuries is like talking to those that have them. Um, they're all different. You can look at a medical book and they're probably 80%, right? But like that last 20% is really hidden within the community that has them. And only them can really share, you know, 
the true answers to those questions. And I, I think that's something that we don't find with other, like, you know, basic things. I think you find that within other types of, you know, life-changing things, um, you mm-hmm. find that within those communities. But that's where I think the real information is, is, is talking to the folks yeah. that have experienced it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And I would agree with pretty much everything you, you just said. Uh, I had a similar experience. So when I had gotten injured, I came back and was at Bethesda at the Naval Hospital. And they said, hey, you can go to any facility you want in the country. Where do you want to go? And I thought, because I didn't know much about the injury or you know, I didn't understand. I thought there would be, this was 2012. So I thought there'd be some sort of specialized equipment or you know advanced research or whatever it was going on. And so I chose to go to a, a center of excellence in the VA in Tampa, Florida. And then after a few months, I found out that there wasn't a lot they were going to do for me that I couldn't do at home. And, uh, and so I had already uprooted. My wife moved out there to be with me. We were living in an apartment, we're actually in the hospital for two and a half months and then moved out into an apartment in town and I'm trying to do therapy and stuff there, but wasn't a lot going on. So I tried to get back home as quickly as possible, about six months after moved back. And then to your point of community, I, I wanted to get back to work and heal that way. And so what I did was I went back to work, trying to help out where I could doing, you know, administrative tasks and things within the unit. But, uh, that was the healing for me was going back to being around the people I knew and had relationships with and the environments that I was familiar with. And and your point about the books on spinal cord injury, it's really kind of nefarious because there's not a ton of us and it's a very, you know, widely distributed, you know, like wide ranging injury that's different for everybody, right? They tell you everyone is different. You know, the recoveries are different. Injuries are different. Secondary complications are different. So there's no way they can put it all in a book. And, and like you said, having people you can talk to is really the best way to learn. And I found that as well. Unfortunately for me, I like, I was just talking about this with Elena and I was initially very hesitant to reach out to anybody or to talk to anybody or get involved with new people who were injured because you know, I, I kind of felt like it was accepting defeat because in that initial, you know, first year that I was injured, I was still hoping to just get up and, and walk, right. And just recover and, and, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. And so that led me to a lot of issues like you had through probably with the secondary complications where I had things that were happening. I had no clue what was going on. Doctors really didn't know necessarily what was happening either, but any, you know, para, you know, paraplegic could have told me they were like, Oh yeah, well that's what this is. Or, you know, if I would have just been open to the, the, you know, the opportunity to learn from them. So I don't know if it's so much being open. I think it's more like when you're ready, you know, I, I think like, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 I don't know if it's defeat, but it's really like letting go of, of something and, and accepting um, a new title. And I, I don't know if we're always ready for that title. Um, you know, we, for so long, we strive for a title, you know, especially within the military, especially, you know, like you work up the ranking system for that title. And, you know, as you continually grow, it's an achievement to grab that title. The problem with spinal cord injuries is they don't, they don't discriminate against anybody. I don't think any disability does actually disabilities. They, they accept everyone. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing because coming from an individual that's always strive for performance based things. If you were a competitive skier like myself or an individual that served our country like yours, it's looking to lead and lead a group of folks. The last thing you want to do is all of a sudden say, Hey, I'm a part of this 
spinal cord community. And I'm a part of something that I didn't choose to be a part of. I kind of have to accept that actions that I've taken have led me to be here. And I, I think that's one of the hardest processes is like in life, you're always trying to achieve a title. Many folks are. I think there's some that have found peace with internally and they don't need that, but that's a whole nother conversation. But to accept that title of, you know, spinal cord injury, you know, disabled, adaptive, it's not something you usually achieve for. And so once you can accept that, like, this is your community and this is your world and it's, it's okay. Um, it's okay to be uncomfortable with it too. Um, I think that's really a big takeaway from like, you know, ready to reach out or to talk to others is like, it takes that period of time to accept this title that unfortunately you didn't achieve <laughs> to, to obtain. Um, you were given to it in a non-discriminative way. Um, and that, that, that is an unfortunate outcome of a spinal cord injury. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And that's very insightful and eloquent way to, to describe it. So yeah. Uh, and so as you were recovering and moving forward, what, what were the next steps that you, you know, how, how were things going and what, what did you get involved with? Obviously, you know, you'd created an amazing organization and, and created a community just like this, but how long after that, after you were injured, did you? had the idea and start to work through that and, and put it to action. You know, like right out of the gate, um, this really great guy by the name of Bill Hudson, who actually sits on my board of directors still to this date for high fives. Um, he started a foundation or he didn't start a foundation. He was the executive director of the sugar bowl community foundation. And what he started, not a new foundation, he started an umbrella fund called Roy's recovery fund underneath that 501 C three. And it allowed the parents of the team that I was coaching to donate, uh, majority of them from the Bay Area, uh, a lot of them donating large chunks of change so that I could focus on recovery. And, you know, at the end of this and some great friends back in Vermont, I was able to, you know, have two years worth of financial stability to just focus on my recovery. And while I was always updating and making sure people that supported me knew how I was progressing in my own recovery, I, I kind of felt empty. I mean, I was making like, I think 12 bucks an hour ski coaching and like 20 bucks an hour banging nails. And all of a sudden people are giving, you know, dollar placements in them that are much bigger than my paychecks are for the whole year. So this recovery, it, it really made me feel like, wow, these people really want me to, to see through this. And to me, that led me to the idea of, hey, like, pay it forward. Like, how many other folks that are going to fall into the same shoes that you do, that have these dreams of being in the outdoors and sustain a life-changing injury are going to all of a sudden feel like, you know, life has struck them down. Will they have the same community that, that I have? Will they have a great group of friends that want to make sure that I have the stability to get through the process of this? You know, I, I don't know if everyone does. And so that led me to the idea of like, okay, like, let's pay this forward and let's see what happens. And let's create a foundation that did what these folks did for me, for someone. And the whole idea, the initial idea was one person a year, help one person a year find the funding they needed to get the recovery costs covered and then do it again the next year. And, and that was, that was the whole goal when we, when I first started this with a group of friends and, you know, we did that the first year. And then after one year, it was a whole nother, you know, it just started growing. 
So awesome. And so that organization was High Fives Foundation? So that's High Fives. Yeah, that's that's how it all started and everything. Um, you know, started it back in 2009. I got hurt in 06. We did this event in 2008. I go back to skiing. Whoa, the kids are the, the early kid. It got me right there. And then me, I didn't have my afternoon uh, three o'clock coffee that I'm usually required yeah. to have at this point. Um, so in 2008, I, I had gone back to skiing. I had really focused hard, went back, uh, adaptive skiing um, for tracking, which is, you know, standing up. But I have poles with ski with like little skis on the end of them for stability, balance, and also initiating and, and being able to stop. And so I got back to skiing and that led me to believe, okay, let's throw a celebration for this. Let's, let's throw a, an event. And we put on this event at Sugar Bowl. It caught a lot of eyes of folks and said, hey, what is this? What is this going to become? And that is how the idea of High Five started. It started with an event to celebrate skiing. And from that, it led to the creation of a nonprofit, a 501c3, you know, that is you know, focused on preventing life-changing injuries and providing resources and hope if they happen in the outdoors. Um, 12 years now, nearly 500 athletes served, athletes, anybody with a, with a goal in the recovery process. It doesn't mean professional, semi-professional or anything. Um, nearly 25% of those uh, individuals are veterans that we've served. And um, nearly $6 million dispersed out in grants that provide equipment, recovery, um, all the different things that, that folks need to get through the recovery process. And then, you know, the big thing to us is getting people back outdoors, um, reconnecting with community. It's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, by the way, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and the impact that you've been able to have, uh, it's no, it's no small feat, right? Like that's not without having to work hard and to put this together and to build the community, the organization. And a lot of people obviously helped you to do that, but but it's worth noting that, you know, you were able to help lead and, and grow this to, to something where you're able to help 500 people and, and provide them with the support they need to, to potentially change their lives, right? Like the impact, I think one of the things I wanted to highlight about these types of support for a lot of nonprofits that, that do this type of work, especially high fives, is that something that may seem, uh, may not seem like a, a huge deal to any normal able-bodied person, uh, with the, the right amount of support at the right time in someone's life, uh, these goals can can really help set people on the right track and potentially be life-changing, right? And so um, 500 lives that, that have been impacted and changed is, is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the biggest takeaway is like all these individuals have had life-changing injuries. And so how can we influence their life moving forward from a life-changing injury? And I think it really takes you know, folks that have been there, um, folks that have, you know, been at the bottom and have come back to the top and they can share that experience with others. They can say, Hey, I was you, I, I was there. And like, I'm here now. It took, it took this journey. I went from peak to Valley, peak to Valley, tried to go peak to peak and missed it here and there. But this is the journey that it looked like for me. And I think like individuals at the beginning, latch on to that because it helps them visualize what their life might look like. One, two, three. You know, I think a common thing that you find in the spinal cord community is like, how long you've been injured? Uh, you know, how, when was the last time you regained some sensation or what was the last time you moved this? Or, you know, I, I think that's always something that is brought up in those first couple early years. 
And then you always compare yourself to that other person. Oh, well, my friend over here a year later, they started to get this back, you know, and it starts to, it, it generates hope. And you know what? In that moment of life changing, hope is a really great drug. It's better than the things that they're pumping into you in the hospital system that are helping regulate and make sure you stay alive. But what's really going to keep you alive driving forward is, is that drug of hope. And I think that's something that we're really able to provide and, you know, interject into someone at a moment of their life that, you know, is, is more than just life changing. It's, it's going to help them repurpose their life moving forward. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And, and in addition to that, I want to highlight a little bit of the work that you guys do and, and, and clarify that it's not just grants for individuals, but you've been able to create and maintain these relationships and communities of people over long periods of time uh, with different events and, and getting people out and, and building a sense of camaraderie and so on and so forth. So uh, you do a lot more than just providing grants with the foundation. You know, one of the programs that we do that I think doesn't always get the the highlight because it's something that it's hard to scale, I think, or I don't know if scale is the right word. It's hard to replicate because it takes the right people. If you get hurt any, anywhere within 80 miles of Reno, Nevada, I have a spinal cord injury. I will receive a text message from the hospital that says, new spinal cord injury patient, reach out for details. There's two doctors, there's two PM&R doctors that are on the floor that that we have this program with. And it's funded by a local businessman because he believes in this more than anything in the world. He believes in peer mentorship. And so if someone gets hurt within 48 hours, I will text back, get the details. And it's it's not it's not like, oh, here's the information, you know, it's it's Larry Johnson, he's blah blah blah. It's very it's all HIPAA based, you know. Uh, 50-year-old female, uh, motorcycle accident, T12, incomplete, Asia B. That's usually what we're given. You know, that I think roughly, I think that's exactly what we're given, that, those types of details. So then there's four other peer mentors that work within our program that I'll reach out to. Sometimes it'll be myself. Sometimes it'll be four others. But if that person gets hurt, they meet the match, we get them. Within 48 hours of accident, you will have someone that has had a spinal cord injury that's as much matched within our peer mentoring program to your injury. And that injury at that time is absolutely catastrophic to you and everyone around you. You know, it's like chucking a rock into a pond, ripple, 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 ripple. It's all those ripples that come off that rock and that's how that injury starts to affect people and it starts all the way out. So if all of a sudden within 48 hours, you can talk to someone that gives you hope. I have seen recoveries, Derek, that medically do not make at all any type of sense. I have visited folks that have high level quadriplegic injuries, C3, C4, can't move anything below their chin, that are now re-walking, that are, you know, two that are... I that are 110% recovered, which I know seems very, you know, on the opposite end of, you know, folks like myself and you who are on the opposite side of 100%. We always try to compare ourselves. Oh, I, you know, me, I always say like, oh, I'm like 65% recovered and I'm stuck there. You know, some folks have gone past it, but I think it comes from that initial idea of hope. And it's myself or four others that go in and say, Hey, like life's not over. 
You know, one of the most amazing ones is about eight months ago, an individual, high level, complete injury. So cord had been completely severed at C5, said, I'm good. I, I don't want this life. And the doctor said, hey, we, we've got an individual we'd like you to talk to. We brought in our high level uh, peer mentor, um, a male who is just an absolute rock star at life, lives life to the fullest. You'd never even know he has a spinal cord injury from the adventures that he, he would tell you until you would actually see him. And he went in and he talked to this guy. And two weeks later, the guy and him are working out at the rehab facility together because he saw that life had more than just a purpose. Life had a, an entire, you know, process of, you know, what's possible, even though things no longer are possible for you to feel or to move or to, to do things. I think one of the best piece of advice is that I give to people is like, life will never be the same, but it will be awesome. You know, and I, I look at that and it, it really comes down to how you define that awesome. And it comes from, you know, my injury, you know, I'll, let's just, we'll use this one for example is, you know, I met Dave Vibora through Richard Rawling, the TV star, who then I met Jeff Gum, who then I met you and we took you surfing for the first time. Yeah. None of that would have happened if I didn't have a spinal cord injury. And like, you can take that in one of two ways. You can take it as, yeah, well, that fucking sucks that you guys had to meet that way. Or you could take it as we met because we were able to provide an opportunity for someone in a way through just connections of community. And I think that's like one of the biggest takeaways from this is like, it, it is all on how you decide to celebrate what awesome looks like. Yeah, it, it, it sucks that I can't freaking hike. It sucks that like I can't travel and find, you know, go to the normal store and just rent something. You know, everything has to be specialized. But at the same time, like, I don't know. There are things that I have gotten to do that I would never have gotten to do if I had a spine if I didn't have a spinal cord injury. I mean, my wife has a Lego. Like, who doesn't want a Lego? And that's an incredibly powerful message to share with people provide them with that hope, especially after, you know, in that, in that time. And, um, sounds like an incredible program that I think you certainly could replicate it. Just take time and work and effort. And so, well, it takes the really right cool. people, you know, you, you have to find the right individual to be the leader within the area that then can summon a group of others to help support a basically stranger. You know, how often in life does someone literally out of the blue, give a stranger an hour of their time to make sure that that stranger now all of a sudden is part of your family. I mean, the people that I have gone to visit in the hospital, I I'm in touch with, you know, I've visited, I think in the last four years, I've visited 47 individuals with spinal cord injuries that have come to Reno. Like I am still close with like 30 of them, like incredibly close with them. And I came into their lives, you know, as a stranger and left an hour later as, you know, one family sees me as like the Messiah, um, you know? <laughs> so it's like you, you enter as a stranger and it's like, but like how often, you know, if you're just, you know, Hey, this person needs your help. Can you give them an hour? I got a lot to do. Like, 
I think that's the other thing, you know, people are showing up when like you least expect someone to show up for you. And all of a sudden it, it resonates in a way that, you know, these results that we've seen in recovery are, you know, beyond medical, like fields of expertise of knowledge of how this happened. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And the impact you guys have is, you know, it's far reaching, right? And and that community, you know, the ripples, like you said, will continue to to grow and, and make waves, which is awesome. So that's awesome. Uh, and so obviously you've been incredibly successful with the foundation, helping so many people over the past few years. And then along came a girl and, uh, you know, love to hear the story a little bit about, you know, uh, how you and Elena met and, and how it's been and, and what it's like to be a parent as well, because you guys have a unique situation and, and there's not a lot of information and, and she was explaining a little bit about her experience to me, but would love to to hear your thoughts on parenting and moving forward and, and new challenges and, and opportunities. Oh, you mean the book that's not written for two disabled people to raise a child on their own together? Yeah, I was looking for I was looking for that one. That one hasn't popular isn't a popular that isn't in the popular book. <laughs> uh, I'm call Jeff Bezos right now, you know. Yeah. Ask him why it's not on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I met Elena back in 2010. She had just come back from Vancouver with two golds, a silver and a bronze. Um, she was the hottest thing in skiing and she came to this event, um, that was called ski Tam or it was called ski spec. I can't remember that either it was ski spec and it's ski Tam now, or it was ski Tam and it's ski spec. Now we changed her name. Can't remember which one it is, but it's a fundraiser for the adaptive ski uh, program for the U.S. Paralympic team, and uh, it happens in Vail. Um, I went there just to network, and I remember seeing her. She came in and she just like took over the whole room, and she was just checking into the hotel, and uh, I just was like, "Who is this person?" Uh, we became friends over the weekend, uh, and then over the next eight years, we just stayed close you know, as friends, you know, making sure she got support like she needed and um, always just kind of being like a, a, a resource and a, a friend and, you know, always seeing each other at surf events, ski stuff, just randomly. And then we were both speaking at an event in New York City in 2018. And <clears throat> it was just this right timing of people in their life when there were no commitments. And we uh it's funny we had we had gone surfing the day before this big event and we had all this surf gear so we were getting dropped off at newark and as we were getting dropped off at newark airport on the curb um she was getting dropped off at a flight before me and i got all our stuff out for her and then i don't know i just something about it so i gave her a kiss and ever since then we've been hanging out awesome yeah yeah not too many people can say you know making out in newark so (laughs) it's definitely you know not the sexiest airport oh it's absolutely disgusting it's the armpit of america (laughs) (laughs) easy easy now over the east coast but you know i like to make fun of jersey too are you from from delaware Derek? are you from originally on the east coast originally from delaware so where in where in delaware dover I've been to Dover. Elaine and I have both been really? to Dover, actually. Uh, we went there uh, to race a modified NASCAR at the Dover racetrack. Okay. Um, they took one of the old furniture row cars 
um, Dr. It's not Dr. Fauci. That's the guy that's telling everyone what yeah. to do. But Al- Dr. Fauci with an L. Fauci. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. Fauci. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got this modified race car and we got to go there, race it, have a blast, stay at the Dover, like Dover casino or whatever. Um, I'm a ginormous NASCAR fan. So it was the greatest thing in the world to me. I actually just got back from Kansas. I was in Kansas all weekend for the race there and having an absolute hoot of a good time. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. 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 There's not, not a lot going on in Dover, but we, we do have the monster mile, which is, uh, you know, the NASCAR track for any of you. NASCAR fans know that and yeah. uh, a lot of corn farms, some other stuff, but yeah, it's not bad, but Newark, New Jersey, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody can claim that there's anything clean about that airport, but uh, anyways, that's <laughs> awesome. And so moving forward, you, you know, obviously have had a incredible uh, journey together now as a couple and, uh, and became parents recently, which is another miracle, uh, and awesome. So, um, so what was that like leading up to, you know, having Gunner and, and since then what's, what's it been like? You know, having Gunner, he's, he's a who like he definitely is testing two people that are usually testing other people. So it's definitely a good, uh, it's definitely a good check for both of us. He, um, he's such a sweet boy. Elena is, an absolute gold medal mom, not to try to use any competitive references, but I mean, she's been such a competitive performance-based athlete for such a period of her life. It's just so natural to see her be this incredible gold medal mom. Um, She's really just um, always making sure Gunner is like, is in a really safe place. And it allows me as a dad to just replicate what she does. She's a really great leader when it comes to parenting. Um, there is no handbook. And like I said, there's no handbook for two disabled people to raise a kid. So, you know, to have that leader um, is, is really great because I, I'll tell you what, um, I'll never forget, like, you know, the, the moment you leave the hospital, you know, for the first, like we were there for, I think 48, like almost 48 hours after he was born. And um, you know, there's, they're so attentive and they're so helpful. Um, and I'm talking about the staff and they're so, they're so amazing. But the, the thing that's so bizarre to me still is like, you just leave the hospital with a kid. And the only thing they care about is if the car seat's okay. Um, not like parents, are you good? You know? And so that's, that has always been like, you know, kind of this funniest, funniest thing for us is like seeing that. But then, you know, having Elena just, you know, be this absolute just maternal leader, um, you know, and it's natural because, you know, she was raised by her grandparents and her grandmother was this very strong, you know, no emotions, all was, you know, she, she said it how it was. And I, I think Elena took that style of, of leadership from her grandmother, but then probably you know, took the one thing that she always, you know, wish she probably got a little more of, which is, you know, that, that, that extra love, not the hard love, but the, the squishy love, I guess you call it. I don't know what you call it actually, but you know, and I, I think that's why the way she mothers gunner and the way I, I follow, because like, I, I'm like, I'm not going to replicate anything better than this. Like, let's get on board, bro. Like this is the leader, like we're following her and I'm okay with that because she is just, she's so amazing as a mom. Yeah. 
Women are definitely the stronger sex for sure. <laughs> That's the same way with, with Mara, you know, Mara. So we've had twins four years ago that just turned four. And so we were, we were in the hospital for five days cause they were like, Hey, you could probably leave early, but take advantage of the time, right? Like just, yeah. just get yourself ready and then, you know, come home. And sure enough, it's like, you're on your own, figure it out. And we, we had some support from our in-laws who came out and they were awesome and incredibly helpful, but you know, it, I, I followed the same approach and had the same philosophy, which was just try to help follow the lead. Yeah. Don't screw anything up Get out of the way when you need to do what you can. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. So you, I, do you have two boys, two girls, or do you have the mix? Yeah. Two boys. Two boys. Oh, wow. What are their names? Hudson and Hunter. Oh, I love double H. Nice. <laughs> and then with the last name Herrera. Nice. They got some, do they have, is their middle name H's too? Are they, are they triple H's? No, no, okay. they're not triple H's. So, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't take any credit for that either. More, more picked the names. So she's like, she told me actually, this was, this is a funny story. So she said to me, uh, she's like, yeah, I like Hudson and Hunter, <laughs> but I might be able to be swayed. You know, she just kind of like left a little opportunity. And so I kept like proposing things. No. No, no, no. So like up to the point where we like, she's going into labor and we still haven't like locked it in. I, I'm still thinking that like I can sway her opinion on changing the first names and, you know, and then they, they come and are, you know, they're out and they're like, okay, what are the names? And, uh, and she's like, you get to pick the middle names. And I'm like, oh man. Uh, and actually like when we started, I, I picked one and then change my mind like three hours later and had them go back and like do the paperwork and stuff. And so, uh, maybe it was three hours. I don't know. Maybe it was a day later. Uh, but yeah, it was fun, fun times. Uh, the, well, so wait, you, you pick some names, then you pick different ones. What were the original ones? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> so I think the first one was, uh, so Hudson, actually, I can't remember if it was Hudson or Hunt. I think it was Hudson. Uh, his middle name was Oliver okay. before, uh, and then we changed it to Mattis and then Hunter's middle name is James. And so that was my middle name too. And passed down the family. So, so it worked. And, uh, so yeah, it's Hudson Mattis and, and Hunter James. <laughs> Sounds like two presidential candidates right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Used car salesman, something, yeah. You know. yeah. Gunner's whole name is Gunner Owen Alexander Tuscany. And it was, uh, you know, right. we just, we went for it. We gave him the initials goat and, uh, he, he definitely, you know, lives it to the fullest, I think too. <laughs> it's epic. That's awesome. Awesome. And so, uh, What's next for you, you and Elena and, and Gunner? What's the the future look like, or or what kind of goals, or what are you working to achieve? You know, we're working on. I think like the next big things um, is we're working on uh, potentially a like a kind of a new headquarters for the foundation. Potentially, that's uh, one thing that we've sort of mingle our hands around. And there's that second cup of coffee I need, um, and then. The other is, um, you know, I think there's for us is like, how do we integrate more inclusion? Um, and what I mean by that is how do we make more inclusion for the sports so that they get more support? Um, so how can we create more opportunities to get people involved? Um, how can we get more adaptive surfers? How can we get more adaptive bikers? How can we get more adaptive skiers? The one thing that we're starting to see um, is the 
individuals participating in all those sports, there's really good numbers, but the age continues to increase and the group size doesn't grow. Um, meaning that mm. the, the, there is no real rollover as in we don't lose people, but we definitely are not growing the sports in the way that we're hoping to. So I, I think that's a big mission is to how can we both help to grow sports so that there's more inclusion, more opportunities and more visibility um, within the categories of sports that we're really passionate about. I, I, I just think that's like the biggest goal is just like getting more people out there and like, you know, getting rid of the stigmatism of like, what is that piece of equipment? What does that person do? Oh my God. Like, what is that? Like, no, like I think the best piece of advice that I've been given um, and it came from a conversation we had with the national parks is, you know, when approaching an individual with a disability, regardless if you think they have one or not, um, is if you lead with curiosity instead of accusation, you're going to see a such more impactful conversation or understanding of what's really going on. And I think that's something like that Elaine and I both believe in and both really want to try to get out there to others is like, you know, lead with curiosity first. Cause like, you know, we see it a lot in surfing. Um, Elaine and I both use a paddle. Um, and you know, we like you, when you went surfing, you don't know, a wave ski Derek. Um, and you know, when you're, when you're around like Jeff gum and Dave Vibora, like you're fine. Like what's going to not, nothing's going to happen to you. But then when you go and you're not around that, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of hatred towards a paddle and it's not that we're like choosing to be there this is how we surf. And we're not saying like, Hey, we're trying to offend you because we have a paddle. We're trying to say like, Hey, like this is because of my disability, the way for me to be out here. And 98% of the time I've had one incident where it wasn't, but 98% of the time when you are able to tell that person who's, you know, you kook or whatever they're yelling to, you, you know, um, the situation, they're like, oh my God, like, wow, I'm so stoked you're out here. And then they're usually like, yo, yo, come with me. Like, I'll block for you. Like, I'll get you waves, like whatever, you know, they're always your best friend then. But, you know, if that conversation, instead of the, like, get out of here, you know, they said like, hey man, like what's going on? Like, wh why are you using that? You're like, oh, well, I'm disabled. I'm paralyzed from a ski accident. And this is the only way I can surf. Like, oh my God, like, tell me more, you know? And it's like, it's so bizarre. It's like curiosity, lead with it. And you'll see such a better just outcome. Yeah, I, I've seen that. And that's probably one of the most frustrating things I think I've experienced as well is a lot of people, you know, like to label it or call it whatever weird names like ableism or whatever, like, but at the same time, if you're just interested, like you're like, if you actually just convey a genuine interest in learning, it's not offensive, right? It's just, it's a conversation, right? And I have no issues like with people asking me questions and and telling them the story and telling them and whatever, explaining answers to them. Because if we don't, right, then people are never going to know, right? They're never going to learn. They're never going to be educated. And and once they do, they'll probably remember it, right? They'll remember that for the rest of their life. And and that compassion that can stem from that can move forward and, and carry on. You know, because like the number of occurrences that you're going to have with a piece of adaptive equipment is is going to be rare because it's not they're, they're not high volume pieces of items. And so if you don't take the time to try to understand or at least get an understanding of what something is, then you're going to always be, you know, what you should have led with at the, at the beginning, you're going to be curious. So just lead with curiosity and like, see what happens. And you'll find too, like 
there are very few angry, like adaptive athletes is in my opinion. Like I have not met very many adaptive athletes that are not willing to share their story. And guess what? Most likely if you ask some of them, you're going to, you're have an hour because they're going to talk your ear off. Like there are some folks that, you know, want to share everything with you the second you ask. And that's okay too. It's just yeah. like, just see what happens. I, I think that's such a big thing. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's so amazing. And um really excited to see you guys succeed in the future with all the goals that you're setting to achieve and continue to help more people with the foundation and uh, appreciate making time to, to come on today. Yeah, man, it was so good catching up with you. And I look forward to catching up more with you in person. And uh, what's going on with your device? Like what's going on in that world too? Great question. So it's been a, a bit of a challenge this year with uh, dealing with the FDA. And so uh, for Eurodev Medical, the bladder management device that we've developed, um, we've done through multiple clinical studies now and just working to get it on the market, hopefully uh, going through the final processes and tightening everything up and wordsmithing a lot to ensure that we meet all the requirements and the standards established for, you know, for a commercial medical device. And, and so we've been doing that working with experts to get it, get it there. And so that's yeah. what we've been up to. And, um, and it's been good. So it's been a long, long journey, but we're getting close and, uh, the feedback thus far has been good. A lot of the people are excited about it and enjoy it. All the people that have been in the study of, you know, had positive things to say. So we're, we're optimistic about being able to help people and help impact people. And, and then once we do, uh, you know, I feel like I'm on the journey and have been on this path that this will be my new life mission, right. To, to continue to try to innovate and develop products that they can help people. And so, uh, hopefully we'll be able to figure other things out. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of unmet needs, especially for, for people like us. I think the one thing that's like so bizarre to people is like, you know, you break a bone and there's a very clear process of what that looks like to recover four weeks, cast, come out, OPT. Not only is there no real clear path for recovery on the spinal cord injury, there's also the additional items that come along with it, your bowel, your bladder, and a bunch of other things on top of that. But, you know, speaking to the, the bladder specifically is what I think you're doing is, is absolutely incredible because if someone doesn't have the correct insurance or doesn't understand how to work the insurance system, they have to pay $18 to go pee six six, at least six times a day. So that means that every single day, $108 is responsible for that individual to go pee, a necessity to live. Because if not, you'll go toxic. There's so many complications if your bladder is not to be released. And there is, yeah. and for me, I applaud you, Derek, on, on so many levels because it took someone to have this. It took someone with the incredible insight and, and drive to say, this is not right. This is so wrong. We can do this. This th I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I do not believe that we have not solved paralysis when we have this in our hand. 15 years ago, there was like a hundred things that you'd have to have in a pile that all of this can do now. And it is so wrong that we think as a society that we should be racing to space 
in spending all that money and not solving human simplicity, medical needs so that people can, you know, have the best quality of life possible. And what you're on the path of solving is, is only a small crack in the door of the things that I believe you're going to help solve because it unfortunately took someone like yourself to have this injury, to see the problems, to actually say, fuck this, this is fucking wrong. I'm sorry to swear, but that's the honest truth. And I absolutely applaud you for what you're doing because it is so, there's so many things wrong, but this is one that I can really highlight specifically with you. Um, that I just, I applaud you for what you're doing. Thanks, man. It's been a long journey. And and like you said about new missions, new purpose, new identities, like the, the, the literally had that experience, right. Of just trying to solve a problem and would have had no clue. Never would, never would have been on this path ever with medical device innovation or entrepreneurship had I not had this injury, but that's exactly what happened. I, I went through the process, had this injury, started dealing with the challenges associated with it. And that's literally the conversation I had with a urologist after I was having these complications was, hey, doc, it's 2013. There's got to be a better way. He's like, no, no, there's nothing on the market. And so like, I just became obsessed with trying to solve the problem. And, and then as I was still hesitant, like, testing the waters before I made the leap fully to commit to pursuing this kind of found myself at a crossroads, right. And asked a simple question, which was, you know, of all the paths we can choose and do things and try to be successful, whether it's in corporate environment, the nonprofit environment, like as I'm trying to reinvent myself, find my next job. Right. Uh, asked myself a simple question, which was of the things that I can do, is there something in the world that only I can do? And what I thought was, you know, given my experience and my background and the injury I now have, I have insight into these conditions and these problems and can try to help develop solutions that other people aren't doing or aren't willing to do or don't understand or don't, don't have the knowledge to, to accomplish. And so that's, that's, what's led me down this path. And it's, it's been a long and arduous path, but it's, uh, I never, it never gets old. Like I never, you know, question the path because it, I'm so passionate about it. And because, you know, I also realize I feel the weight of it, you know, where if we fail, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to be successful in helping all these people and, and someone else may never do it again. Right. And so, um, so I appreciate your kind words and, and we're, we're getting close. So we're getting close to hopefully helping a lot of people and then see what other problems we can solve. Well, I got a huge database ready for you. So <laughs> let us know, Derek. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, appreciate your time, Roy. It's been amazing having the opportunity to come and connect with you and Elena and Gunner. Yeah, Gunner uh, jumped in on Elena's there too. <laughs> so it was awesome. And look forward to seeing you guys soon. But truly appreciate your time. And thank you for joining me here on Forward. This has been an episode with me, Derek Herrera, and my guest today, Roy Tuscany. So appreciate your time and look forward to seeing you soon.